Good morning, Maplecrest. We are here. And I have to admit that I am nervous. It's always nervous, panicky kind of thing, addressing people you know. I've been to Myanmar. I did 15 presentations there. I studied for it in an evening and did them. <laughs> and I'm going to BC Thursday, and I'm going to speak to well-positioned people, and I haven't even started <laughs> looking at what I'm going to talk about. But this is tough. This is, this, I love you, and you're people that I know, and I know that I'm going to continue with. And so this is a little bit worrisome, but a lot of people have been praying for me. And so let's go for it. Let's make it a place of joy. This is, I know the story is sad, but it ends up joyful. And so that's where we will enter into it with freedom and love. It's a relevant concept even today as we're facing New challenges, new drama. You would think that the drama would had been contained, but it, con it continues. And I've been told that stress is really difficult for us. But I've been told, too, that boredom is just as stressful as excitement. So we are not bored. <laughs> and we thank the Lord that we are in the challenge, and we're still, all of us are still relevant, and it is beautiful. I know that this concept that I'm going to be talking about is very important. I never thought it was. It was an offhand remark a long time ago. But it's just as if God just is relentless in the pursuit of the subject of forgiveness. And I could go on and on to tell you miracles of encounters that I've had where I can just see that the, the, the message that God wants for this day and for the time to come is about forgiveness. We've got to learn this. We've got to learn and do it well because it's not over. For us, this story starts November 30th, 1984. We were a normal family. I'm going to give it away. Cliff was working for Camp Arnis. Odia was, Candace was 13 years old. Odia was 9 years old. And Cyrus was 3 years old. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> He was adorable. He was so adorable. And him and Candace had beautiful relationship. And he missed her even after, even if he didn't, wasn't able to really say it, he was able to convey, I miss my, and I could tell you stories about that. I was a model. Yeah. Yeah. I was a model. I was so cute. He was so cute. <laughs> you have no idea. I have pictures, and everybody just goes, wow. And then, and one time when we were doing a fashion show, he was a model. He, he did the walkway or the runway or whatever we call it. And I he was. And <laughs> I could go on and on and on. <laughs> and we could spend the whole morning talking about his role. And it is fascinating it's fa because each one in the story that I just talked about has a story on its own. Uh, Cliff has his story. Um, Candace, of course, has her story. Odia has her story, which is just amazing, too. And, of course, you know some of Cyrus's. Amazing. Um, and this is what happens when we do face something critical. We have to choose. We searched. Uh, Candace went, uh, went missing on her way home from school. She had just called me, and I can talk about all of that. And we knew immediately in our hearts that she had, she'd been abducted. And there was a search, um, wide, uh, citywide search for her, and even internationally, they were praying for us. And it went big. And then seven weeks later, her body was found in a shack not that far from our place. 
It was January 17th, I'll never forget that day. And that was when we realized she had been murdered. Somebody had taken her to the shack and tied her and left her there to die in the cold. So as you can imagine, that day of January 17th is forever imprinted in our minds as the most horrific day of our lives. And we were going, we have found Candace, we have found the, the body, and there is relief in that, to the absolute despair that we have lost our firstborn child and all of that and who she was. That night, the same day, a stranger came to our door, knocked, and I went to answer it, and it wasn't anyone I knew, and he said, I too am a parent of a murdered child, and I've come to tell you what to expect. Of course, that was the first time I realized I was a parent of a murdered child, and what that would mean. And there's no social equity in that title, I can tell you that. Anyway, it was just horrific as I started to realize for the first time what this was all about, and that I didn't know. He said, there's something else that is going to come to you. And so he told us in vivid detail for two hours. He pulled out the pills that had, and talked about his health that had been destroyed. He pulled out notebooks that had, he had taken in, in detail about the two trials he had been. He said, this is what to expect, and I did not know that he was prophetic and that we would eventually have two trials as well. All of this went on and on and on. And then he said at the end, I even have lost the memory of my daughter. And I could tell he had, because he had, through this two hours, he had once mentioned how wonderful his daughter was. It was all about everything else. And that's when we realized, oh my word, there's mental illness. I'm not, not whatever that is, that mental stuff is not going to be ever the same. And that would probably be our biggest fight. And then he left. And that's when we realized there was something else that he had left behind. A dark presence. And we went up the stairs, we said goodbye to everything, we closed down the house, then we went up to the stairs, and this dark presence was on our bed. And I want to talk about that dark presence today. We chose the word forgiveness, and that dark presence jumped off the bed. And we slept that night. We thought that with that presence on our bed, we would never sleep again. And we were right. We've chose the word forgiveness. I want to say that there are three types of forgiveness. There is the spiritual forgiveness, the theological forgiveness, the forgiveness of God, right, that he gave and all that kind of thing. That was not the issue that night. All in our family believed in God, and we were in good relationship with God. Even Candace was in good relationship with God. There was no big issue in our family that day. Even Odia had accepted Christ, Candace, we all had this maybe, and Cyrus did soon after. <laughs> he was a, you know, so everything was really good, and Candace did not blame me for not picking her up from school because she was in love with a guy who had just given her a face off her snow. It was so good, and her best friend was coming in the next day. We were in such a good place as a family. We were poor, but we were in ministry. Our lives had meaning, and we had hope. It was a good place. It's not about God. We were in good communication with God. I went to God immediately, and I said, God, you got to help. And God said, I will. It's not relational. We didn't know who had taken our daughter. Everybody in the city of Winnipeg was wonderful to us at this moment. We had friends we didn't even know we had. We had support like you wouldn't believe. It was not about other people. And Cliff, I mean, Cyrus talked about relational, and that's a real big thing. Relational forgiveness is big. It's usually about forgiving somebody. That's how we know it. 
This was neither of those. We were in good relationship with everybody, and it wasn't we were in good relationship with God. So what was this? I'm going to call it situational. I've called it all kinds of things, but I'm going to call it situational today. Things happen, and we're not quite sure at the moment why, where, and how, and they're just happening. And immediately the presence of the shadow comes. Something that we hadn't experienced before. We hadn't had any trauma in our lives. This was something big, and it sparked something in our lives that we didn't know. Did you know that the Sami people who live in the northern tips of Scandinavia and Russia and are known for their semi-nomadic reindeer herding have a thousand words for reindeer? Did you know that Eskimos have hundreds of words for snow? They need to know what snow is all about, right? Men have over a hundred actual nicknames for women's breasts. <laughs> but you think that's funny. Women have even more names for babies. 985 synonyms for babies. What we care for, what we concentrate, we will develop an expertise. According to my count, Mennonites have at least 50 words for the concept of forgiveness. So to me, even going into this, when I said I was going to for- we were going to forgive that night, it meant a whole lot more than God and relationships. It's a concept forgiveness, it's situational, that I had learned from my father as a Mennonite little girl. Forgiveness is the most powerful word in the wor- world. It isn't a one-time instantaneous word. It, isn't, it is a process word. It is a lifestyle. It is counterintuitive word that requires choice. It is unnatural. It is a destination word. It leads to love. It leads to a new kind of justice and looking at things in a different way. It elevates, puts priorities in the right place. It is a challenging word. It is situational. That's what I'm going to be talking about today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Genesis 4, verse 1 to 26, where we are introduced to the black presence. As you know, there was Cain. He was a herdsman. No, it was Abel that was a herdsman. Cain was a vegetarian who, had, who was a farmer. And apparently, God must have told them that he preferred a sacrifice of a, of a male. Genesis 4, verse 1 to 26. And um, we know the setting. In any case, there was sibling rivalry immediately between the two first children. And after this was established, and God saw Cain's reaction to Abel, he said, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Why don't you just change your ways? Why don't you just listen to me, Cain? Just do what I say. But no, there was sin, right? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. There it is. There's a presence at the door. And it's linked to your anger. And it's unnatural. And it wants you. It wants your soul. This is what I would say is situational. The definition for forgiveness is also stop feeling angry. It's just simply that. It doesn't talk about God. It doesn't talk about others. Just stop. Deal with your anger. Because your anger is about to get you. As we all know, the next day Cain killed Abel. The primary word is the Hebrew word 
het tet. A more accurate translation of Hebrew het is sin, error, or mistake, and injustice perceived. This is where it starts. The word tet is a word used to describe a snake that ensnares, surrounds you. And in this case, it says that it's probably, we can take all of these meanings, that it ensnares you like a snake, but it's crouching at the door. What is crouching at the door? Snakes don't crouch. My metaphor that I've chosen for it is black dog. And you'll find this very much in the literature of depression and anger. People fight with their black dog. Black dog was first coined by the Roman poets and later adopted by Winston Churchill to describe his depression. And that's kind of the word that we're going to use today. And even Jesus referred to the dogs. And Paul said, beware of dogs. They can be inhabited, but it's the dog. So what do we know about dogs? How do we look at dogs? Let's go back to the verse. The metaphor in mind, God says that the crouching back dog, that you must rule over it. Dogs are good, actually. But if they rule over you, that and they want to. They want to be the alpha dog. They want to be the pack leader. Oh. Okay. Apparently my microphone doesn't work. We must take authority. And you know what? I'm terrified of dogs. Absolutely terrified. So when I went to Myanmar, they have all these stray dogs on the street. And the first thing that happened was we had to walk a distance to go to our destination the first evening. And there's all these... We don't have any dogs, stray dogs in our neighborhood anymore. Those are of the past, right? I remember them when I went to school and they chased me on my bike every day, that kind of thing. Here are these black dogs around. And the leader of our pack, the director of the school that we were speaking at, says, don't look at them. Ignore what? Ignore them. Treat them like a nuisance. And he, nuisance, and he did. And then later on, I read psychology about it. How do you control dogs? They're social, remember. With dogs, the idea is that when you react to an unwanted behavior, you're actually rewarding the behavior. Don't look at them. Ignore them. So ignoring behavior is particularly helpful when what that dog wants your attention, and they do want our attention. So what we were saying in our first response, when we saw the crouching black dog, metaphorically, on our bed, it was real. It was snarling. We knew it had come in with the man, and it had been left behind, and it was now wanting to inhabit us. When we said forgive, we were saying we're going to disengage. We're not going there. I'm sorry. We're disengaging from you, so now leave. And that's why he kind of went small and slid off the bed. It's not about I have forgiven, because we're never really going to get there. It's a process. But I am going to forgive is probably one of the most powerful words that you can learn to say, especially with the black dog. And it comes around and starts to want to feed on us. And then, once you've disengaged, you're not going to fight or flight. You don't engage. You wait. The dog has been disappointed, and it will leave, but it will come back. And so you wait and you prepare. There is an acronym that I'm going to use to just talk about how to deal with this dog. 
We fight fear and the dog. Fear and anger are very close together. They kind of amount to the same thing. And it's, um, so we fight the fear with the fear of emotional takeover. We want to remain healthy. So that's what I'm going to talk about today is the first F is in fear is faith. It's only a dog crouching. It's not even a Goliath. <laughs> it's just a dog. We all know dogs. We don't have to be afraid of dogs. We just have to ignore it and say, we don't care about you. God's promise is that he will not allow you to be tested beyond your power, to remain firm at the time you are put to the test. He will give you the strength to endure it and so provide you with a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. There is a way out, always. You do not have to engage. Everybody's going to say it's normal to be angry. Yes, it's normal to have that emotion. But watch for the dog that wants to take over. Faith is hard. It does not come easily. Just like the muscles of the body. As Jesus said in Matthew 17, verse 20, if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, you can accomplish amazing things for God. This is where the authority takes over. We can do this. The dog has to listen to us. We have a choice, and we need to rec recognize it and exercise it. Re research, and this is what we used to often say in prison when we went into the institutions. People would say, well, I couldn't help it. It just came over me, and I had to do it. I had to kill this person. No, that's not what the research shows. You do have 10 seconds to make a choice. You know when your mother said, count to 10? They had no idea <laughs> that that's real. If you are angry, you have 10 seconds in your mind before you're going to have to act. And what you do with those 10 seconds, and it's a long time, 10 seconds. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You had a lot of time to think of a lot of things like, is she really going to count? <laughs> is she really going to do that? You had lots of time to think of a lot of things during that time, didn't you? That's as much time as you have before you're going to act. And whatever you arrive at the decision after 10 seconds is what you're going to do. And then you are and have succumbed and given yourself to either the white angels <coughs> or the concept of forgiveness, or you've given yourself to the dog. And the dog is vicious and wild and wants to lead you into a pack of other dogs. You don't engage and you remove yourself from temptation. Find a safe place. Don't stay there. So many people say, well, I just have to forgive, and they're staying in homes of abuse. No, you don't. You leave, and you think it over. You get, remove yourself from the dog and his vicious snarling. Unless he leaves, then you, le then you let him leave and don't, do not go after him and give him a treat, as we do with our other little dogs. Don't engage. Find a safe place, get out of danger, and wait. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord, Psalms 27, verse 14. Huge. It's not going to be resolved immediately. You know what? It might not ever be resolved. <laughs> As I stand here this today and realize 
home is still not resolved. We're still in the thick of things, and it's coming back. And you know what? The dog was back. He was so back this last week, and he was vicious and more vicious than ever, always. And he had a new bone to throw at me, a new ball that he wanted to play with, totally different that I hadn't seen coming. He came back, and I had to then go through the whole process again. Say, okay, I am going to forgive. I don't know what that means in this case. It's too complicated for, even, for me to even know what it means at this point. But I am going to, and I'm going to find my way back through. And I'm going to give myself a few days. And I didn't quite. I, I did say a few things that I shouldn't have said. I, I did not wait <laughs> long enough. But then I did. And God is showing me beautiful things along the path. Rich things, wonderful things. And so then we are always on it. I'm going to forgive are the best words. To say you have forgiveness is the wrong impression. Forgiveness is a process, a mindset that it continues until the day we end. And it started, it's a big concept. Do you realize that the bitterness in the dog was introduced on the day that we ate of the fruit of the Garden of Eden? There was a tree. And even at that point, God promised us and said, there's going to be a way, and he started to show us the way through. He said, you do not have to succumb to the dogs. They are a ruling majority right now, and they are out there. We gave the, the ruling majority to the keys of, of evil and anger and all the negativity. It happened right there, and it said that, but God has already said, promised us a way out. He said, you're going to have another tree come along that's going to show you forgiveness. And if you believe in the tree beforehand or after, that tree is pivotal to the, all the message of the entire Bible. And then there's a tree at the end, the tree of life. So there's the first tree, the Garden of Eden of good and evil. There's the tree of the cross where it all comes together where we look forward to it, or we look behind it, or wherever we're looking, that tree has power because it's saying, there is a different way. You do not have to succumb to the dogs. You do not have to be ruled by the dogs. You do not. You are going to always be tempted by them, but there's always a way out. And then all of it will lead to the time when the dogs will be gone, and we have that new tree of life. So it's really the whole Bible is all about forgiveness, and it's the most important message that we can deal with. That's why Christ came. Okay, that's faith. Faith is believing that we can do this, and we have authority in faith, and we have authority over the dogs. We have 10 seconds to grab that authority, <laughs> and then we can say, we will forgive, and then we'll get out of the way. We remove ourselves from the line of attack. The next one is E for education. Learn. As you wait, study. Gain an education of your dog. Do not run away. Do not hide your head in the sand. And one thing about trauma is that another part of the dog is that immediately when you're traumatized, and when children are traumatized, they can't learn. You don't have any inclination of learning at that moment. So this is an act of will that you need to learn all about the dog and everything about it at a very difficult time. The dog is your teacher. 
the dog, wherever he barks, you know, <laughs> oh, there's problems. I, I thought, I wonder what I have to forgive in this new scenario. And then the dog barked. And I know exactly where I'm going to have trouble. <laughs> and I know exactly where I'm going to have to learn and work at. James 1, verse 2 to 5, Consider it pure joy. In fact, you're supposed to actually appreciate it when it happens. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, you're going to learn lots when you, are, when you see the dog coming and you learn about the dog. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Who gives generously? What is he giving? He's giving you opportunities to learn <laughs> without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It's all about the wisdom. And here I need to say that that's why I brought those books. I can't sell those books today because it's Sunday, right? And it's against my conscience. So who's ever gotten there first can go and get those books. But that's what I had to learn almost immediately is that I didn't know. I didn't understand this dog. And nobody in my family nor circles knew what this dog was about because they had never experienced it. Well, my father, my grandfather did. He used to, because of the Russian Revolution, would get up at night and scream, or scream in his sleep. Actually, I think a lot of people do know about this dog. And we had known about it in, the, in our past. But they had, didn't have the, the language of murder of a child. They didn't have quite that kind of thing. And so I had to say, okay, what is this about? And then we didn't even have Google, by the way. <laughs> and I wasn't able to learn from books because I couldn't concentrate and I was busy getting my own work done and writing as a journalist. So I had to then, I put myself in a place where I joined a group called Family Survivors of Homicide who were after me and were talking to me and they said they wanted me to join. But when I joined, they said, you can join on one condition that you leave the word forgiveness out. We never want you to talk about it. That's the reaction to forgiveness. And it's been big all along. I would say that 80% of Canada, I know this for a fact as well, did not realize what we were talking about and did not appreciate it. So it is not a popular word. And we know why, because it changes things. And it's a God word, and not everybody can do it unless they get close with God. So I joined this group and never did talk about forgiveness. <laughs> I act, we don't always have to talk about it. We don't have to always name it. We have to live it. It's much more powerful. And I hope I lived, and sometimes I didn't. But they talked about forgiveness a lot because it was always there, and they were talking about how everybody was pressuring them to forgive and that they couldn't forgive, and it was always an issue, and it was on the, on the table all the time. So, but I had to, and I looked at them, and people were asking me, why is it so difficult to work with parents of murdered children? We as psychologists don't like to work with them. We and people working with prisoners don't like, nobody likes parents of murdered children, apparently. And they wanted to know why it was so difficult. So then I would go to these meetings, and I would start to say, okay, what is it? What is the issue that they're talking about? I, and it was even before post-traumatic stress was known. And so we did have somebody coming from post-traumatic stress disorder, a veteran from the U United States, to tell us about that. It was, okay, that's part of it. That's one. And somebody would come in from compassionate friends, and they would talk about grief, and we would say, 
oh, that's one too, but we hadn't even known it because we didn't even pay any attention to our children. Nobody in our group had a picture of their lost child. Which, when you go into compassionate friends, they have all these pictures of their children. They talk about their children constantly. We couldn't even get there. And then I went, okay, that's another one. And then the anger that I found in myself. Wow, that was huge. Somebody said, what would, just, what would there be justice? And I said, well, I thought about it. And this was a person of integrity, and I had to answer her with integrity. And I said, no, it wouldn't be enough for that man to die, because he'd be dying for something that he did. I was shocked. I'm Mennonite. I don't believe in capital punishment, right? And then I said, when I went down deeper, okay, where is this coming from? And then I said, and I would, uh, 10 child murders would have to die. And I was multiplying it by 10 times. Revenge. This is my way of dealing with my anger. And then I said, and I would have to pull the trigger. And you know what? It felt really, really good. <laughs> what a shock. Better than chocolate cake. <laughs> Better than anything. It was just, oh my word. So then I went to Family Survivors of Homicide and I said, and what are your revenge fantasies? And oh my word, they were worse than mine. <laughs> Coming out of good places of love, but realizing, oh, we can give to the black dog. And it even feels good when we give to, to the black dog. But the black dog will not stop there doesn't stop with delicious. It started then to feed. And I went in from one day and it went deeper, deeper, deeper until I said, oh no. All of those ten men had ten mothers. And I would be then escalating violence. I've got to stop here. I've got to turn to love. These are the big problems. And this is the education. I um, then wrote a book. And you know how many issues I found in this group? Fifteen. <laughs> And I'd made a lot of money going to the government and telling them all about these 15 issues. I still do. <laughs> it's big. And I don't think it even stopped at 15. I just stopped there because I was tired of it. Big issues. And they're real. And they're important for us to acknowledge and to learn about. And as I was learning about them, I could gain freedom in them. Blessed are those who find wisdom. Those who understand who find understanding. And injustice teaches you the balance of responsibility. Who is responsible for this? Are you? Some of us take all the blame. I'll fix it. Some of us shove all the blame away. Everybody's at fault. And usually it's the big exercise is how much am I to blame and how much is everyone else to blame. And to divide that responsibly is huge. It might take your whole life. And injustice teaches you the bounds of boundaries, how to set them. Are you too intimate with everyone, or are you not intimate enough? Can you connect, or can't you connect? And when you connect, what does it look like? Are you giving them their heart, and your heart and soul, and giving them the power over your life? And that's not good. Or are you taking power over everyone's life? In order for me to feel safe, I've got to control you. <laughs> you know? We do. We balance the two, and, and the healthy balance. And injustice teaches you discernment. Are they friend or are they foe? Big questions. They're even in the Bible. And injustice can bring you purpose, meaning, and eventually happiness. If you want to be happy, according to the formulas and according to research, you have to be in learning mode. In order to recover from this, you have to be in learning mode to be happy again. That's only one. <laughs> There's other things to do. 
But learning is huge. The mind needs to learn. And in the Bible, there's at least 100 verses on learning. In the end, you will have wisdom. The truth will set you free. We're still on the journey. We still haven't finished. And that was kind of what I was realizing the other day was, oh, we haven't finished learning the justice system. There's still something to learn here. I still have to. Somebody's got to learn something. Maybe we all have to learn. Maybe Winnipeg has to learn something. Maybe someone does. I don't know, but the journey of learning is exciting, and we're never bored. <laughs> A, the next letter, is for adjustment. Forgiveness assumes something went wrong. I remember somebody once saying, I said, I, I, I forgive you. And then they just kind of said, well, I now assume that you think that I was the one that did something wrong. <laughs> All right? If you say something like that to somebody, somebody did something wrong. That word assumes that either if I forgive myself or forgive God, forgive anyone, that they have done something wrong. We need to, and so I'm saying that there's an adjustment. Nothing is perfect. And this is the part that I talk about is coming in with a first tree. Nothing is perfect. So if something goes wrong, we need to adjust to find that perfection again. Something has gone wrong and we need to learn how to put it right. People are not perfect. Have you noticed that? We all fail each other all the time. We never get it right. Even with the, most, the people that we really want to please, we still get it wrong. Our bodies are not perfect. You are all going to die. I know that. Our spirits are not perfect. We are haunted by the dark presence, and the dark presence can fool us at any time. We can go down the anger. Our minds are flawed and limited. We will make mistakes. We call it human error, and we're always looking for it. Because we know that people, machines don't make as many mistakes as we do. So there's always a mistake to be made and a mistake to be called out. Change, choice, conversions, we're always changing. If you don't change, you fall into adjustment disorder. They even have a name for it. <laughs> it means you're stuck. If you don't change, then, then you're stuck. And we need to change. We need to always be changing. And we don't need to have a whole schedule of what when we change. We should change immediately and quickly because there's something always coming at us. We need to dodge life as it comes. Do you know who, who forgives the most? Hockey players, goalies. Because they have this puck coming at them all the time. <laughs> and whether it goes in or not, they've got to forgive this stupid puck and the people that are sending it their way. And they actually, and they'll talk about this. They have to forgive. And, and what if it goes in? They have to forgive themselves immediately because the next puck is coming. And you just, so when you look at them, they have strength galore. They have mental strength galore as they forgive all the time. And we are goalies in life. It's coming all the time. And we shouldn't be surprised it's coming. We chose this life, and it's exciting, by the way. We're not bored. <laughs> so we have to do not be conformed to this world be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect always on our guards always making it perfect there's two ways to change we can take action 
we can move ourselves, we can go back. But sometimes we have to accept too. I want to just put it out there. Sometimes we have to accept that the people who are hurting us, we can't change them. And we have to change. So again, it's, it's not that easy to change and want to change. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. That's extremely popular because it's so applicable. How do we know what to change and when to change it? We had to accept the fact that Candace was gone. We had to change our entire world because of it. And our parenting skills and everything had to change as we accepted that Candace was gone. And we had to do that readily because unfortunately we felt that accepting Candace meant that it was okay to accept Candace being gone and it wasn't okay. It's not easy to accept change. It's not easy to navigate that. And the last one is um, R for recycle. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8 verse 28. Don't quote that to just anybody. Because if somebody has just experienced the murder of their child, they're not going to take lightly to this. They first have to go through the FEA, <laughs> if they can make it there. This is the last on the list. And it's there for good reason, because you have to arrive here, and it's not easy to be able to say that absolutely everything is good for us. Do you believe that all things work together for good to those who love God? If so, unequivocally affirm that we believe that we keep His commandments, and no possible circumstances, good or bad, would hinder the life of God, Christ, from being manifested in our mortal bodies. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10 to 11. It's coming. It's going to be there, and we're always going to move because everything. And this is what I thought when I was when I was um, going through all this. I thought we we forgave. We want to do this. We want to do that. But what's the real success of forgiveness? And the message that day at the funeral was overcome evil with good. And that's when I knew it was. It's not going to be over until you've changed it into something learning or something recyclable or something good. And it doesn't just happen, by the way. It took us, I think, there were a lot of little good things that happened along the way, but it actually the, the best thing that happened out of all of it only happened 25 years later. No, I think even 35. No, 30. <laughs> Oops, I gave you away. <laughs> the, the length of all of this. The age that it takes for something really good to come out of it. And the constant effort as we take on the little things and, and go through it all the time saying, I want something good. Good means a lack of self-centeredness. It means the ability to empathize with other people, to feel compassion for them, everyone and put their needs before your own. It means, if necessary, sacrificing your own well-being for the sake of others. It means dying on the cross. It means benevolence, altruism, and selflessness, and self-sacrifice towards a greater cause, the common good of all. All qualities which stem from a sense of empathy, it means being able to see beyond the superficial difference of race, gender, or nationality, and relate to a common human essence beneath them. Huge challenge. Huge challenge. I thought, you know, there's racism, there's sexism, there's also offenderism, where we hate people in prison, which I was very prone to. And then, as we are working towards forgiveness, the most beautiful part about it is that 
forgiveness is a little bit like Drano. <laughs> Drano, it clears the, the, the pipes. It clears the draining problem and systems. Why? To let the love flow through. It is linked very closely to love. Love comes after you've forgiven. It takes away all the debris, takes away all the negativity, takes away all the anger, clears the room of the dogs. They can't stand it. And lets love come through, through God. And lets God come through. God is love. In some ways, if we're not exercising forgiveness, we shouldn't be surprised if God feels very distant. God will not help us when we ask for negativity. God does not say, okay, you want to hate? I'll multiply your hate. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. God does not participate in revenge fantasies. God does not... (laughs) He doesn't... He has no imagination for evil. He is not evil. So if God has no imagination for evil, he can't enter into your evil imagination and help you accomplish that. You're doing... You will do it because you have the wild dogs inside of you and helping you to deal and do your stuff. But God isn't there. God is love. God comes in after you've forgiven and has tremendous power to go and flow right through you. So it's releasing love. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. I actually realized by heaping coals, burning coals on his fire, that's kind of to heat him, to give him heat. So really it's saying... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. The real essence of it is, if if your enemy is cold, you'll pay his hydro bill. (laughs) You're going to do something that keeps him alive and and thriving. That's the the biggest challenge of love. So the dog is crouching. And I'm going to end with the story. There was a time in my life when I ran away from being a parent of a murdered child and I wanted to make lots of money. (laughs) I thought it would be the answer. So I went into real estate for a year. And you know what? It's not good to run away from God. Anyway, it was a Jonah experience. I want to just tell you that and we can tell you about that, all the things that went wrong that one year. But anyway, I'm going to just tell you about one. I went into real estate and I was selling a house with my partner for the first time. And we attended, we were going to have an open house. And we walked into the house, and the owner said right away, she said, and explained the barking in this sinister basement, said, you know what, there's a dog down there. And under no circumstances are you to show that room. Do not open that door. It's our son's dog. And and then she says, and, 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 just don't go in it. (laughs) Just don't do it. Then as we... This is the first time I was supposed to look at the house, so I went around and I could see the wear and tear of that dog. He was obviously in control of the people and in control of the, dog, of the house. But yet, my partner and I were going to sell this house, and even though we knew we wouldn't get much for it because of the dog, we were going to sell this house. Well, we had laid out everything, and the owners had left, and we were just we were just gearing. This is my first open house. I'm really, really excited about the masses of people that are going to come and look at this house that has such potential, and just potential. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we heard the barking, and my partner said, "The dog is loose. Run!" And she says, "The table. The table." So what we did was we jumped onto the dining room table. 
Now, it was a pedestal table. <laughs> and we were two grown women, right, on top of this dog. And this dog emerged, and we quickly uh, uh, threw the chairs down so he couldn't jump up. And, and all of a sudden, we realized we had chosen a safe place. We were really safe. He could not reach us. But he was a big pit bull, and he was snarling, and he owned this house. And we could see, feel his ownership coming at us. And we knew that if we got down, he would do to us what he was doing to the house. We saw, had seen so much evidence of it. So there we were surfing this table. <laughs> and we were just screaming. We would trim. It, was, it would have been a sight to behold. We would have gotten a million, million views on that one. <laughs> and then, but the dog then lost interest. He couldn't get to us. And um, so he, but he was going to make sure that he had us contained. So he would circle the house. And he made the mistake of going down to the basement once. He left the room. He left the room. There's a door. There's a door. Will he go down again? And he did. He went after circling all the bedrooms and everything and looking at us and snarling at us and terrifying us and leaping at us and, you know, just the threatening posture. And we believed that he could jump. We never were quite sure if he could make it or not. And then he went down to the basement. And I was the hero. I jumped off of that table and I shut that door <laughs> and I felt so good about it and then we grabbed our papers and ran out of the house and stood beside the sign and said open house not open <laughs> it's not open anymore there's a fierce dog in there just just go just go just go and we were still we trembled for the whole day honest I'm still trembling now when I think of it it was just horrible and so what had we done? We, the dog had been there. We had noticed the dog. We had gotten safe into a safe place. Then we studied the dog. And we realized what his patterns were and how we could defeat it. So that's a big part. And then we waited for the opportune time to do it all. And then we escaped. And then we went to the vendors. And we said, just a minute. You have a violent dog bag down there. This isn't just a violence in your home. It is a big violence. You need to do something about it. And the parents took courage to get rid of that dog. And then once they have got rid of that dog, they realize they actually liked their house. <laughs> and they fixed it up, and it was great. And then they went and told everybody that we were the best real estate people in town. <laughs> That's what it's like. The dog is real. It's, it's a violence. It's, it's, there are methods, though. We are not to be defeated about it. And if, if we hadn't forgiven, I know that Cliff and I wouldn't be married. And you can ask us about that. I know Cyrus would not be a pastor. I know Odia would not have her little girl. I would not be an international speaker. I'm not that good. <laughs> I would not be a therapist now. I would not be teaching people to write with such a passion. Please write. Study yourself. Get to know yourself. Get a PhD like I did on my life. And even now, when I look back on all those books that I wrote to find myself and to understand my trauma, it's becoming invaluable even to this day and this week. As I looked at it and I knew that I knew what I knew what I knew because I'd studied and I'd written it down. I'd done my processing and my learning. Fight fear with fear. And that is how we can do this kind of thing. It's a big thing. Faith, F for faith, E for education, A for adjustment, R for recycle. That's where it is.
Our Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that you provided a way for us. You know all about it. You know that we can fight this authority of the dog. You are on our side. You have designed us for us a way to escape. Let us adopt this. Let's work at it. And give us the courage to risk it all 